how do you deal with stress? You know, when you deploy, uh, you know, to a war zone, perhaps, which is probably the ultimate uh, in stress, in stress, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with, you know, leaving a family? You know, how do you deal with disappointment? How do you deal with getting knocked down? You know, I got knocked down a lot. But Bob, you know what? Everybody does. That's life. The key is, how do you get back up? What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Healthy, Happy Human podcast. On today's episode, I'm talking with retired Air Force four-star general Larry Spencer. Over a 30-year career in the armed forces, Larry rose to be a four-star general and eventually the vice chief of staff to the president in the White House. Starting from very humble beginnings, as you'll hear about in our conversation, Larry truly shows that you can come from literally nothing to some of the highest positions possible in our society. This is a great talk, extremely motivational, and I'm extremely grateful for someone like General Spencer to come on here and talk to me. I hope that you guys get a ton of value out of this. Please enjoy my conversation with four-star General Larry Spencer. All right, retired General Larry Spencer, thank you so much for being here with me today. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing absolutely wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. Oh, yes, I, I do appreciate your time. And I think that this is going to be great. I have looked into you know what you're doing and your storied career is really the only way that I can, can put it because you've had uh, almost three decades or may, maybe coming up on that uh, in, in military service and all types of things and finance and, and crazy. So if you could just give maybe like, uh, I know this is an impossible question to ask, but a five minute <laughs> elevator pitch of your career of starting in the military up until now, so that people just have some background about, about who you are and, and why you're so amazing. Well, I wouldn't, I, don't, I wouldn't say I'm amazing, but thank you for asking. And uh, uh, I, this is fortuitous that you would ask because I've got a book coming out uh, in actually next week. So I've recently had to record all uh, my life so, sort of life story. So, so this is on the front of my mind. So, it, it, you know, in a, in a nutshell, I was born and raised in the inner city in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, on a street uh, that was actually shaped like a horseshoe, it was 46 place, so we called it the horseshoe. Uh, very much a typical inner city uh, environment. Uh, you know, poor schools, uh, pretty low self-esteem. Uh, wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do uh, when I graduated high school, and I barely, just barely graduated high school. I was mostly into sports, uh, and unfortunately, in my neighborhood, sports were more important than uh, than academic uh, uh, acuity. So, I wasn't, I was not a good student. Uh, so, basically, sort of lost after high school. I was the oldest of six uh, siblings, and my father was career army. Uh, and my mother had not graduated high school. Neither of them had any experience with college. So I had college uh, coaches trying to give me scholarships to school for football. And it was just a confusing time because I really didn't have any mentorship or, or really any guidance. And it wasn't my parents' fault. They just didn't have the experience. So uh, let me transition now into, and, and <laughs> I'm at, you can see me. I know the audience can't. And the only reason I'm mentioning that is because I'm going to ask you to use your imagination now, uh, because this was in the early 70s. Uh, it was uh, the fall uh, of 71, and I was walking through a mall over in uh, Suitland, Maryland, 
And I had an afro the size of which you would not believe. That's why I said you got to use your imagination. I wish I could grow one now, but I'm way beyond that. Um, and I went through the mall and I had purchased uh, a purple jumpsuit with matching platform shoes. Again, I, I'm asking you to use your imagination, but it's true. And so I was walking through the mall with my bag and I saw a Air Force recruiter's office. And I was just sort of standing outside looking at the airplane pictures. The gentleman inside, uh, a young uh, non-commissioned officer came out and started talking to me. Uh, I, you know, the story he gave me, uh, I won't say it was, it was, it was a lie, but it certainly was, uh, uh, let's, see, let's say it was ambitious. Because what he told me was that I could enlist in the Air Force that day and then go to basic training, leave basic training, go to the Air Force Academy and play football. And I said, hey, sign me up. Now, obviously, um, I guess technically that was possible, but certainly not practical. Uh, so I joined the Air Force on the spot. My parents didn't know anything about it. And so I went home and had to break this to my parents. And by the way, they were very happy about it because, again, early 70s, my mother called me a hippie. Uh, now, you may, you may recall that term back in the 70s, uh, but I certainly dressed the part. And so they were really happy. And so I joined the Air Force, uh, enlisted E-1, uh, and really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed the discipline of it. I enjoyed the camaraderie. And I know I'm going over my five minutes, so let me jump fast forward here. I enjoyed it so much that I completed my college degree at night and on the weekends, got commissioned. Uh, and then came in as a second lieutenant and worked my way all the way up to a four-star general. Well, that definitely uh, definitely wrapped it up really quickly there. I feel like there's a lot in there. <laughs> <That> there is. <laughs> from, from joining to four-star general, I'm sure had had, had a, a, a big journey in there. So that's kind of where I want to start is you mentioned right there being lost. And I get the sense that the Air Force and the military in general gave you a sense of direction because clearly you found where you where you meant to be, where you were meant to be, and you, you stayed there for, for many years and had a, a great career. So my question is, what do you think for you know people out there who are feeling lost or have no sense of guidance or in that that space of like, you know, my parents didn't, again, they're, they were not, for better or worse, they weren't good or bad. They didn't help, but they just didn't give me a, a direction. And I'm just kind of floating right now through life. Yeah, that's a great question. And over, you're right. I did leave a lot out of the story, but what I have learned over time, for, and this is for me. And, and by the way, I think this is an important point. Everyone is different. What works for you may not work for me and vice versa. So I think it's important, important to to seek other folks' experience, but at the end of the day, uh, try to evaluate what's gonna work for you. What, what has worked for me over time is really uh, three pillars. One has been spiritual, which is sort of my faith. The other has been uh, physical, which is my own physical um, well-being, and mental, my own mental well-being. And I, I, I had a strong faith foundation growing up, so that really helped me. Uh, what I, when I got in the Air Force, though, that helped me develop my, my physical um, uh, being, you know, to exercise, to, you know, think about what I was eating, to think about my health. Uh, and it also helped me think about my own mental health. Uh, how do you deal with stress? You know, when you deploy, uh, you know, to a war zone, perhaps, which is probably the ultimate uh, in stress, in stress. 
how do you deal with that? How do you deal with, you know, leaving a family? You know, how do you deal with disappointment? How do you deal with getting knocked down? You know, I got knocked down a lot. But Bob, you know what? Everybody does. That's life. The key is, how do you get back up? And for me, I always fell back on those three pillars. And, and I, they weren't always aligned, but I always tried to work to keep them aligned. So for me, that's one of the things I learned working my way through the Air Force was to pay attention to all three pillars, not just one, two, or, or you know, one or the other. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I, I say my favorite quote is uh, Mike Tyson says, you know, everyone has a plan until life punches you in the face. And I say, that's all the exactly time, right. you know, life is going to punch you in the face pretty much daily. So it's exactly as you just said, it's it's not about if you get knocked down, it's about how you get back up. And it's funny that you say those three pillars, because I actually use those exact three pillars. So I have the healthy, happy human podcast. My coaching services are under the, what's called the healthy, happy human Academy. And I teach healthy, happy human. So to me, healthy is physical, happy is mental and human is the spiritual connection piece, the connection to others, the connection to everyone. And exactly sure. as you said, the, the reason they are pillars is because the structure doesn't stand once you take one of those things out. And that's right. why people will think that they're, that, you know, like they're, oh, well, like, like, it's not bad to focus on my fitness. Of course it's not. But if you're doing it at the detriment of your relationship with others, your relationship with yourself, with spiritual, it doesn't have to be religious. It can just be with the universe or to your mental, uh, you know, it, it's going to fall apart. So I want to go back to what you just said though, about dealing with stress specifically in deployment, because as you just said, it's probably the biggest stress test that one could ever <laughs> think to have. So I want to know uh, if you could just elaborate a little bit more on that and maybe what you learned or some things that you went through there to really help you deal with stress during those times. Yeah, great question. And and I, I don't mind telling you one of the uh, saddest things that I am aware of in our military is the high suicide rate amongst, particularly amongst young folks in the military, which is tragic, uh, very tragic. Um, so yeah, I, you know, stress is something that you cannot avoid. By the way, you shouldn't try to avoid it. Uh, it's because in a lot of cases, stress is good for us. It, it, it helps keep us going. It, it gets us fired up, um, you know, before a big speech or before, you know, a big event. I mean, that sort of nervous energy, if you can, if you can learn how to channel that, is, is actually productive and helps you. Um, but I think the key is, though, is to learn, understand what stress is and how it affects you recognize when you're starting to become perhaps overwhelmed or, 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 you know, the amount of activity is too much for you and learn how to back away and, 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 and ch channel that energy. Again, as I mentioned earlier, every, but one's different. You know, some folks can sit down and read a book and be completely, you know, relaxed. Um, a lot of folks, you know, I'm, I, <laughs> people tease me because, um, I have never in my entire life been on what most people would consider a vacation. Now that may sound strange, but, but, but hear me out here because um, I've tried and I'll just give you an example. About five years ago, uh, my wife and I uh, got us, you know, we said, we're going to take a vacation. We've, we've never taken a vacation and everybody tells us we need to take a vacation. So we did. We went and got a beach home uh, on the beach and I love the beach. Love it. Uh, and so we got there, got in this house, and I rented the house for a week. On day three, I walked into the office. I gave them my key, and I said, I'm going home. And they said, wait a minute. You can't get your money back. I said, that's okay. Now, am I, am I saying people shouldn't take vacations? Absolutely not. 
But for me, what's most relaxing for me personally is washing and waxing my car, is taking my dog for a walk in the park, is going for a walk with my wife. It's, you know, it's exercising. It's, it's different things. Uh, it's writing. I enjoy writing. It takes my mind away from where I am to a totally different place. Uh, and so uh, that's, I, I, so I think it's important, again, I, and I, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but I think everyone's got to find what works for them in terms of what relaxes you, what makes you calm, what takes your mind away from what's bothering you uh, to somewhere else. And by the way, generally, when you can separate yourself from what you believe is, is stressful, you, you sort of figure out, you know, it wasn't that stressful to begin with. Because by the way, um, stress is a psychological response. It's not real. So you, you have to ask yourself, okay, why can a person, most, pe most normal people would say, I don't want to be president of the United States because I don't, I don't care what your party is. You're going to wake up every day and half the country is going to hate you. And that's too much stress. It's 24-7. And by the way, I, I don't disagree with that. But, but there are unique folks who can walk in there. Now, I say unique because most, as you know, most presidents walk out and they age, look like they age, you know, 20 years. But not very many people can handle a job with that sort of pressure every day. But there, but so you have to ask yourself, why can some folks handle that and others can't? It's not the pressure itself. It's the way you respond to the pressure. And that's the issue. I think we have to continually um, work on ourselves to understand that something has hit me that has stressed me. Okay, well, why am I stressed about it? Because it's an event. And that event is, is not going to hurt me. Uh, so I have to learn how to deal with those and learn how to, again, recognize it for what it is and then approach it in a calm way. So uh, yeah, as you know, books, there's books out there about stress management, but I, I, I like to try to emphasize to people, you have to figure out what works for you because what you read in a book may, may or may not fit your individual situation. Yeah, 100%. I completely agree. And that's exactly it, right? There is no rule book to this stuff. There Correct. is no roadmap, right? So to, to take anything as gospel or as the right way, it actually becomes self-defeating because it's like, again, if I'm thinking... Oh, well, I just listened to this podcast where, you know, General Spencer told me that he, wa he waxes his car and that's what de-stresses him. And I'm waxing my car and I'm just getting more stressed because it's like, <laughs> now, now I feel like a failure. So all of these things are just, you know, tools for your toolbox and finding what works for you might not be what works for someone else. But the point is, I, I think that the, the takeaway there that I really like is that, as you said, that a stress is a stress response to something Correct. that is happening. and. Correct. Some things are inherently stressful. Like some things are like, it, some things are, are probably bad and we are it, to not have a stress response to them is probably very challenging, but never impossible because you think of the Buddhist monks or these Tibetan guys who can, you know, they can, the, the building can be crumbling around them and they can right. stay in a perfect state of meditation. So when you understand that, you know, the analogy I like to use all the time is like two people can get into a car accident and one person can say, oh my God, I'm so mad. I have to, I have to call my insurance company now. And the other person can say, oh my God, I'm so thankful that, that no one's hurt. And it's the same event happening to both people, but two very different responses. So the way we, we deal with stress is, much more important and to understand one that you can deal with it and that it is a choice to an extent, because if someone like you can be, can be thinking about stress in a time of w literal war, you know, then, then clearly it's something that is more within our control uh, than, than 
than not. So that actually leads me perfectly into my, my question for you. When we think about control, right? We think about controlling our destiny or controlling anything. So what do you say to people who always tend to be a victim of their circumstances, who, who are not in control and there's, things are happening to them all the time? Yeah, good, great question. First of all, uh, I don't believe that any of us are, uh, are victims and things happen to us all the time. I, I um, you know, I, I think I'm a good example. I mean, I, I wasn't, you know, I was the opposite of being born into affluent uh, parents with a lot of resources and in a great neighborhood with mentors and with great schools and great teachers and all that. I didn't have any of that. But what we, you know, what I had to learn, and I learned this, you know, through my parents and my grandparents and my relatives, we are all born with a set of cards in front of us. And we don't get to choose what those set of cards are. They, they are just put in front of us. And we have to play those cards to the best of our ability. Now, again, you, as you mentioned, you can get up from the card table and walk away and say, you know what, I don't like this. Uh, this is not fair. You know, poor me. Or you can play those cards to the best of your ability and improve your situation and work yourself out of it, which, which is done every day, by the way. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't. I have a hard time with folks who sort of look around their situation and sort of say, you know, woe is me. It doesn't mean that folks aren't born into or are in bad situations. I'm not saying that at all. I was one of those. Uh, but I firmly believe that with hard work and persistence and never giving up, you can work yourself into a better place. And by the way, it does mean hard work. Uh, it, it, I, I haven't figured out yet an easy way to do that. Um, would we all want to be born to a, you know, a rich, affluent family with, uh, you know, that, that, that we had every opportunity there was? Uh, of course. Uh, but that's not real. That's not life. That's not real life. Most of us are not born like that. So, yeah, I, I, it, it's, I am bothered by uh, uh, folks who allow themselves to be overcome with sort of victimhood, if you will. Uh, it, you know, the, there's a saying, I think, when I was growing up that, you know, there was a guy complaining about his shoes until he saw somebody with no feet. Uh, and again, the issue, there's always someone who's got it worse off than we do. Um, and so, you know, sort of, you know, waddling and pity is it, not productive. It's not helpful. You have to figure out a way to turn that around and just say, look, here's it. it you know, my father told me a long time ago that it's not not where you, how you start the race that counts it's how you finish. And so it doesn't matter if you start the race with a lot of things on you, a lot of issues, a lot of challenges. It's how you finish the race accounts. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I, I that's a great question because I, I, I am bothered by uh, so many folks I see who want to find something to blame or someone to blame. Right. I, I, I got it. Uh, but, you know, that, that that doesn't help anything. Right. Well, that's, and that's exactly it. So that's that's I, I say this all the time, too, is like all of those things are real, right? Like I can be born into poverty and I can be black, gay, transgender, and all the whole, the deck is stacked against me. And, and all of that stuff in society is made to, to, to hold me down. And that stuff is true. But then my question is always, and now what? 
Like, exactly. like that, that's the thing. That's the, that's the, that's the, 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 the disconnect that I see with a lot of people is like, we, we can talk about the negative things all day. We can talk about, I got fired from my job and COVID and they downsized and this, I'm like, yes. And it's horrible and it sucks. And you got the shitty end of the stick and I empathize with you and I sympathize with you, but now what are you going to do about it? And exactly. that's where, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it, because this, this stuff is real. Again, if you were born with, uh, with poor, if you're born poor and you're born without, you know, to a single parent, maybe, and to a family, exactly like a lot of people are, it's like, yeah, it makes life harder, but that does not mean it's okay to just accept that. And I think that, you know, the, exactly as you just said, that, that old analogy of, you know, you, 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 you hate your shoes until you see a guy with no feet. I say all the time, I'm like, Whatever you think you can't do, look up on YouTube right now. There's a video of some guy with no arms and no legs doing it. Correct, right? like absolutely. Power cleans and hang snatches. I was at, I go I go to a rock climbing gym uh, here in Brooklyn. I literally saw yesterday a guy climbing with one leg, climbing the same routes that I climb with two legs. Right, and right. I'm just like, okay, like clearly I cannot complain about how hard this is. So you know, all of that stuff exists. You know, and that's the thing. Excuses are real. I'm not saying I'm not trying to devalue any of these things. You you have struggled. You had you do have the deck the deck stacked against you. You do have you know kids that you have to feed and all blah 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 and all that stuff. But that's not a solution. So I'm trying to get people to be more solution oriented and less focusing on the, those uh, negatives because again the negatives are there no matter what. The question is what do we do about it from there? So you know my my question to you that I actually had had written down is. You know, people throw throw around these these phrases like persistence. You know, persistence is key, and like never give up. You know, these these are cliches that we hear all the time. But how do you build persistence if you are that person who has the deck stacked against you? Yeah, great question. And uh, you're right; the, those words are thrown around. They're thrown around for good reason, though, because they are real. So let, let me give you a quick story. Um, uh, although I grew up in uh, Southeast DC. Um, my grandfather lived in uh, Southwest Virginia down near Appomattox, and he had a tobacco farm. And I used to spend my summers down there. So quite interesting, complete contrast from living in D.C., out in the middle of nowhere in the country, working in tobacco fields. I learned a lot from that experience, by the way. Uh, so let me fast forward. We're on this farm. We get up in the morning. Our general routine was to get on his tractor, ride out to one of the many tobacco fields and, and work the tobacco. This particular day, we did not get on the tractor. We, he went and got his horse. He hitched up the horse to a platform, put a plow on the platform. I got on the platform and we walked, uh, you know, out to the south, one of the south 40 uh, fields. And he, and I'm maybe 10, 11 years old. He hitched this plow to the horse and he starts plowing these perfectly straight rows that he was going to grow some, uh, some vegetables in. And I was just transfixed on this. I'd never seen anything like this in my life. Uh, it was just completely amazing to me. And and by the way, I, I'm sort of introverted. My grandfather's also sort of introverted. So we didn't have a whole lot of conversation, but he did. You know, he was trying to mentor me, sort of teach me how to, you know, help me grow up. Uh, and so uh, as an example, you know, he he thought these are pearls of wisdom that he gave me. He thought that I needed to know the difference between a mule and a donkey. To this day, I have no idea why. Uh, he also said to me one day, uh, every, even a blind rooster can find a kernel of corn every once in a while. I'm still scratching my head over that one. But so he was trying to, <laughs> trying to help me grow up. And, and I knew that. So he stopped in the middle of his plowing. He went off into the woods to take a potty break. I was thinking to myself, 10, 11 years old, I'm impressed my grandfather. I'd never plowed before in my life. I went up. I barely could pick up the plow. It was about the same size as I was. 
I, I, I got myself in the reins. I knew the command to make the horse go forward. So I had the horse go forward. I'm really, I, and he starts to go. Now, I don't know anything about the plow, how to keep it straight. So the horse started walking diagonally across my grandfather's perfectly plowed rows. Now, let me pause for a second, and, and I want to be clear. I'm not advocating this next thing at all. I, I don't advocate it at all, but I just want to put you in the times. It was in the 60s. Back in the 60s, on a farm, you could whip your kids if they if they did something wrong. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm 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 totally destroying my grandfather's work. And by the way, I suddenly realized I knew how to make the horse go forward. I have no no idea how to make the horse stop. So we're just tearing through his rows. He runs out of the woods and he yells at me. He says, "Larry, what are you doing?" And I'm barely keeping up with the horse. I turn around to look at him. And so I'm, so I'm sort of walking sideways and I stumble, almost fall. And as I almost fall to catch my balance, I just instinctively, I yell out. I say, whoa, of course, that, then the horse stopped. I, that was the command to make the horse stop, but I didn't know that. So now uh, the horse has stopped. I'm standing there. My grandfather's storming across the field. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, you know, he's never disciplined me that way before. But here it comes because I've heard a lot about it. And when he got to me, he said something to me that was not very articulate, but he said something to me that gets right at the point you just made. And that is, his words were, it's okay to try and fail, but it's not okay not to try. And what that meant to me was, you're going to, you know, just because something is hard, or even if you think you're going to fail, do it anyway. Uh, and jump, you know, uh, analogy I use because I grew up playing sports is, you know, I tell people all the time, you can't score a touchdown sitting on the bench. You got to get out there on the field. And so this notion of persistence and not giving up, I'm just telling you, I don't know any person that's successful. And you can describe, I don't describe success necessarily with income, but that have a successful life. They learn that lesson early on because there's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be things that are hard. Uh, you know, I remember I have a, my bachelor's degree is in uh, industrial engineering. And I got to tell you, my first day in calculus course, I was like, you know, forget this. I can't do this. But his words came in my mind and said, you know what? I may fail the course, but I'll be damned if I'm not going to give everything I got. And of course, I passed the course because I was in there. I went and got instruction after class. You know, I, I had I had study groups. I did it all. But I did what I had to do to be successful. And so I think if if there's at least in this session, I can't think of anything more important than that. And that is understanding that life is not always easy. Uh, and being successful is not always easy. Uh, like you said a few minutes ago, okay, so what? Uh, you just going to stand there and look at it? Or are you going to jump out there and do it? And so that's sort of my, uh, my interpretation, if you will, uh, of sort of persistence and perseverance. It's never, ever, ever giving up. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so powerful. As you just said, it's okay to try and fail, but it's not okay to try. And I think that that's, that's right there sums it up. And it actually kind of flips it on its head of what is failure, because in reality, trying and failing is not failing. That's success. Not trying is failing, right? Failure is if you try and you fail, you learn, you, you, you iterate, you try again. That's, that's the best thing that we can hope for. 
Absolutely. Because it kind of goes back to what you were saying before. He's like, you were like, oh, like, well, it would, you know, we're born into these circumstances. Like, would we like to be born into a rich family or whatever? And it's like, yeah, but on first thought, but in reality, sometimes not even really, because a lot of, you know, the thing about being rich, the thing about having abs, the thing about being skinny, the things about whatever success you're, you're, you're picturing in your head. A lot of the point of that is that it comes from hard work. And if it was given to us, it wouldn't be worth anything. If you just joined the military day one and became a four-star general, it wouldn't mean anything, right? The whole, everyone, everyone would have that. So I think that that's, you know, and it's just an interesting way to look at it. It's like, okay, like it's not that trying and failing is not failing, you know, not sitting on the sidelines, as you said, not being in the game, that is failure because you're never giving yourself a chance to succeed. Absolutely. Um, I also just want to, before I forget, I want to really quickly just can you just say for people listening and for myself also one what your degrees are in and then also two how hard is it to become a four-star general just to have some <laughs> behind that I'm, I'm really yeah, yeah good question well so my i have a bachelor's degree in industrial engineering technology from southern illinois university uh, i also have a master's in business from webster college in st louis and i have a master's in, in industrial uh, technology from the uh, Industrial College of the Armed Forces. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> a lot of people ask me that, you know, how do you go from an E1, you know, to a four-star general? And uh, actually, my answer is, is is not only sincere, but it's, it's pretty easy. And that is, that was never my goal. Uh, my, one of my bosses, when I was a second lieutenant, gave me the best career advice I ever got. And that was, to bloom where you plant it. And, and, and all I tried to do uh, with every job I ever had, whether it was a, an airman or, or a major uh, or a, 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 a general, was whatever job I had, I was going to do the best job I could in that job. And whatever happens after that happens. So I, you know, I know a lot of folks who will sit down and plot out you know, I have to get this training or go to this school or get this degree or I have to go to this party and meet this boss. And, you know, I have to do this and, and so I can be successful. I didn't do any of that. I did the best job I could with the job I was given. And because of that, I, 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 they continue to give me more and more increasingly responsible jobs. So that's, I don't, I, you know, I don't know that there's a formula on how to be a general. I, I think that's just a formula for any profession uh whatever job you have no matter where it is you know um one of the when i was a kid one of the things i did in the in in the southeast was i learned very on how to hustle how to work how to earn money uh so i had every job from paperboy for the washington post to working on a trash truck uh literally you know hanging on the back of a truck running through a neighborhood picking up trash to uh, you know shoveling snow and washing cars um you know, I, I, I learned to get out there uh, and, and really hustle. Uh, and what I learned very early on, again, if you do a good job, someone will notice and you might not even think they notice, but someone will notice, you know, and, and they will and they will they will bring you along, you know, both in the military and in industry. Uh, it's it's amazing to me now how many meetings I'm in where someone would say, do you know someone that, you know, can do, that has this kind of skill? Or they will say, what do you think about so-and-so? Or they will say, you know, I need a president of this company, or I need someone on, on our corporate board. Do you know anyone? Those conversations happen every day. 
And if you're that person out there working your butt off, your name's going to come, in that, come up in that conversation and you will never know it. You will never know it. Yeah, I love that. That's such a good point. Just to do the best at what you are doing, right? And if you just live your life in that way, and that goes from, from work to the military, to any job, to literally exercise, to meditation, to eating, everything. And, and if you just live your, people get so caught up in, in what, what's the big goal and what, you know, what am I building towards and whatever. And all that stuff is important. And there's a place to talk about that. But in reality, if I just do my very best in this moment, have the very best, not be paying attention to my phone, have the very best conversation with you right here so that I can have the, the best conversation for this podcast. And then when I move on from here, do the best job at whatever client that I'm working with and all that thing, then as you just said, I become the type of person who those conversations happen about. And to me, that that is the, you know, it's the recipe for success, but it's the hard thing because it's not guaranteed. And people always want to guarantee. They're like, well, how do I, as you just said, you don't know that those conversations are happening about you. Correct. You don't know that, th that you're being brought up in that way or that people are looking at you in that way even. So I guess that my, my, my question kind of comes from that. It's just like, how do you keep going when that is the case? Yeah, uh, good question because, and I've had this conversation with my own family and my own kids because, you know, at the end of the day, the person that I most need to please and be satisfied with is me. I need to look in the mirror and say, I gave my best. I gave everything I had. I didn't leave anything on the field. And I think if you treat life that way, uh, it, you know, you're always going to be happy and you're always going to be satisfied. You know, you, you, you know, if your goal is to be president of the United States, if your goal is to be the CEO of the company and, and by the way, all of us don't have the capability to be for those jobs. You, you, so we have to be honest with ourselves as well. But if you fall short of that, if you can look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, I gave it everything I had and it just didn't work out. I'm really happy because I went for it. I laid it all out there. And I think, I think, you know, I, I try not to worry about pleasing anybody else. Uh, if I, if I'm satisfied with my effort, then I'm good to go. Yeah, I love that. And that, that that's so true. You know, I had a, an, a guest on this show. Uh, this is almost towards the beginning. She might have been my third or fourth guest ever. Her name was Marcy Nevin. And she told me what she calls the pillow test. And I adopted this from her. And it's just at the end of the day, when you lay your head on the pillow, did I do a good job or not? And I, I tell all my clients this on our very first call. It's like, that is it. Now I'm going to be there to hold you accountable. And I'm here to check in on you. And we're going to set goals and we're going to set whatever. But in reality, you are accountable to you. And you know, at the end of the day, did you do the thing that you needed to do? Whatever that thing is, whether it's exercise, whether it's work on your business. Did you did you watch an extra episode of Netflix when you should have been responding to emails? Did you do whatever? And there, no one else is going to know, but you know. And if you can live a life where you're more not, often than not, feeling good about the life that you're living, you're probably gonna have a pretty good life. And if you're always going to sleep saying, damn it, I knew I should have did this, or, you know, I knew I should have did this again, not because anyone's checking on you, not because there's a grade associated with it, just because you know that you have to face yourself in the mirror. I think that that's a, an amazing litmus test for the quality of life. And I think that you're a perfect example of that. And the, and the things that you've been able to achieve are, you know, quite amazing, honestly. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. So, you know, I want to uh, 
be mindful of your time. And I, I just want to wrap this up because I think this you've, we've had a lot of uh, so much, so many little nuggets uh, that have already been dropped. And I encourage anyone that's already, uh, that's listening here to rewind. And, you know, this is a good, like motivational, you know, I'm getting up in the morning, I'm, I'm ready to take on the day type of thing. So my, my question is, this is my last question. And I always ask every guest this is if you could give people just one piece of advice, one action step that they could take immediately, as soon as the show is over to start living a healthier, happier life. What would that be? Yeah, I, I would say, um, and, and this is probably going to sound a little bit odd to you because I'm, I do worry about uh, our country right now and how divided we are and how mad we seem to be with each other. Um, I would say right now, just to be kind to people. Um, and I try, you know, it, and, and look, I get so much personal fulfillment with that you know something as simple as i'm driving in dc traffic and i let someone in you know think about what that does for their life just for that split second they're happy they wave their hand and and they're smiling even internally they're smiling uh, and, and you know just to be kind to people um I, let me i'll give you a, a, again a, i've got too many stories so i'll try to keep it short but i when i was uh, 18 years old uh, an airman, E1, e uh, I was assigned to Taiwan. Um, and, uh, and when I was coming back, um, I landed in California, uh, waiting on a flight to come to DC. And, you know, I was in a, a middle row seat, you know, the person in front of me had leaned back on my knees. And, you know, that was in the days when you could smoke on flights. So I'm smelling cigarettes. I mean, it was awful flight. And I was sitting in the airport rubbing my knees and a gentleman said sitting next to me said how are you okay and i explained to me hey i'm you know i'm i'm 6'1 you know they my knee i got long legs and my knees are sore i said i'm okay but thanks for asking so the my flight was about to call start boarding i went to the restroom came back the guy was gone and so the the woman uh who was announcing the flight said okay can, with first class you know please board and of course i'm sitting there because i got a seat in the back of the plane um, and so after a second or two, she walked over to me and said, Hey, did you hear me? You, you know, you're in first class. And I said, absolutely not. And she said, yes, the gentleman you were talked to upgraded your ticket to first class. And, and I, of course I'd never flown first class in my life. So I got in and I took my seat and he was across from me. And I said, sir, I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, you know, thank you, you know, for doing this for me. I really appreciate it. And he and he, as it turns out, he was a businessman and he flew a lot and he understood, you know, what it was like to be on a, on a long flight uh, in a crowded airplane. And I said, well, sir, I, you know, I can't pay you back. I mean, is there anything I can do for you? He said, yes. He said, years ago, someone was kind to me and helped me in my career, which is why reason I'm, I'm able to fly first class and pay for your first class now. And he said he vowed to himself that every day he was going to try to do something nice for someone. And he said, if you would do that for me, that would be all the things I need. He said, try to find someone every day to be kind to. And I've been doing it. I mean, that's since I was 18 years old. And I can't tell you how good that makes me feel. I, I don't look for any credit. I don't run off and tell somebody what I did. But something is, is you know, menial the other day is, you know, uh, there was a homeless guy outside of McDonald's. I was going in. I, I drink my McDonald's tea every, almost every day. And so uh, I, I, I paid for his meal. And the guy was so appreciative, you know, and, and he looked awful. Um, 
but just to do something, con- you know, I, I got more out of that than he did. I mean, he got a meal, but I walked away saying I helped somebody today. Think about this. And particularly in the context of where our country is today, fight, we're all fighting each other. What if everyone in our country took that same vow that I'm going to do something nice for a fellow American today? Think about what kind of country we would have. So I would leave it at that. Uh, uh, but uh, thank you uh, for having me. Um, by the way, I, I'd be remiss if, uh, I, 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 unfortunately, I've got a ton of stories like this. Uh, and I mentioned, I just uh, wrote a book, it's called Dark Horse. Uh, and so if anyone's interested, uh, they can either get it on uh, Amazon or they can go to my website at generallarryspencer.com and they can order it. But I, I, I essentially talk about my life growing up in the uh, in, in an inner city and then progressing all the way to four-star general. So a lot of that gap that, that, that we weren't able to talk about are covered in the book. Yeah, for sure. I love that. And I'm going to have the links to all of that stuff in the show notes for anyone listening. You can just click, you can find the book. Uh, you can find, uh, general Spencer's website and, and all the other things I'm going to have directly in this, in this show. But yeah, I mean, that, that, that story is so powerful and, and kind, just be kind to others. How simple, you know, we, we, we can't, we complicate everything so much. Just be kind to others. Now imagine the, all the ripple effects since you're 18, all those different acts of kindness and how that's, that's literally changed the world. And if everyone could just do a little bit more of that, I think that that's such an amazing thing to say and such an amazing place to leave this. So, uh, general Spencer, thank you so much for being here. I truly appreciate your time. And I think that people are going to get a lot out of this. Um, and yeah, uh, everyone, please go check out <laughs> the general's book and everything else that he has going on. Thank you so much, sir. Have a great day. Thank you so much for having me. Congratulations on your show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And there you have it, my friends my conversation with the four-star retired general larry spencer so motivational his story really is a story of triumph and overcoming all of the odds and really just showing what is possible if you believe in yourself and never give up so i hope this inspired you i hope it inspired you to make a change or to try something that normally you would be a little afraid of and pushes you outside of your comfort zone a little bit As always, please share this with a friend. As always, if you want to get on my weekly healthy, happy newsletter, which I send out every week, five little tips or tidbits to help live a healthier, happier life, click the link in the show notes and you'll be added to that. It's completely free. It's just something I do to help everyone just like I do this podcast. So share this with a friend. And until next week, stay healthy, stay happy, my friends.